Some of us here will be old enough to um, have watched the first moon landing when Neil Armstrong, 240,000 miles from Earth, stepped out of the Apollo lunar module onto the surface of the moon. Fast forward 44 years and we're getting closer and closer to putting a man or woman on Mars. SpaceX, that's space uh, rocket engineering company set up by Elon Musk, uh, is in the process of testing their Starship, a spacecraft that will be capable of transporting humans 140 million miles through the solar system to Mars with the aim of starting a new human civilization. The way Elon Musk thinks about it, he says at the moment all our eggs are in one basket. If anything goes wrong with Earth, the human race is over. So SpaceX wants to secure the future of humanity by putting some eggs in another basket, by putting some humans on another planet. It's a daring, ambitious, captivating vision of the future. This morning, we're going to go one better. We're not thinking about the first man on the moon or the first person on Mars, but about the first man in heaven. We're thinking about the ascension of Jesus when he was taken up by God to receive his crown and sit on his throne as king over all creation. And his plan to save the human race is not to populate Mars, but to populate the kingdom of God. This is the second sermon in our new series of sermons going through these opening chapters of the book of Acts. Uh, Luke's account of the acts of the risen and ascended Lord Jesus through his apostles in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you missed last week's sermon, if you weren't here, do catch up by uh, watching the service back on YouTube or listening to our St. Bridget's Sermons podcast. Uh, and what we saw last week was how Jesus chose the apostles to be his eyewitnesses and instructed them to proclaim the news of his death, resurrection and ascension to the world. That's what the church is here for. But just like Jesus was baptised with the Holy Spirit to empower him for his ministry, he told the disciples they must wait for their baptism with the Holy Spirit before they began their ministry. And the day when the Holy Spirit came was Pentecost, which we'll be celebrating next week. But for the Spirit to be poured out, Jesus first had to take his throne in heaven. Before Pentecost comes the ascension. So have a look down with me at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, to see uh, all this for yourself. Verse 8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. This is such an important event that Luke actually recounts it twice, both at the end of his gospel and here at the start of Acts. 
but I'm not sure we always see it in the same way. Uh, some witty person I saw on Facebook has described us as having ascension deficit disorder. We tend to think that the story of Jesus finishes at the resurrection. It's the happy ending after the dark day of his crucifixion. If we remember the ascension, it's, it can kind of just be as a little add-on bringing his time on earth to a close. We've got to stop thinking like that. We've recently witnessed uh, Charles III's coronation. And when Charles ascended to the throne, that wasn't the end of his story. It's quite the opposite. It was the start of his reign as king. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, his story wasn't over. Uh, his reign had just begun. And it was the dawn of a whole new age for humanity. And one day, Jesus will return. Look down with me at verse 10. The disciples were looking intently up into the sky as Jesus was going, when suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So Jesus ascended into heaven to be installed as king, and from there he will return as king to judge the living and the dead and to finally and fully establish his worldwide kingdom. And those two dates are like the bookends of the time we live in now. On the left of the timeline, we have Jesus's ascension. On the right of the timeline, we have his return. And we are living in the time in between. And how we should live in this time in between is shaped by the significance of those two bookends. So your life, your, your children's lives, the life of this church should be shaped by the significance of the fact that Jesus has ascended and that Jesus will return. So let's spend a moment now thinking about why the ascension of Jesus matters. Why is putting a man in heaven far more exciting than putting a man on Mars. Well, think back with me to when we were uh, reading through the book of Genesis, a sermon series in Genesis chapters 1 to 4. We saw in chapter 1 that God made the human race in his image to rule over his world and to rest in his presence. And to do that, in chapter 2, he placed Adam in the Garden of Eden, a botanical temple where heaven and earth met and man and God could walk together, a place filled with the life and love of God. But then in chapter 3 of Genesis, Adam sinned. He was banished from the garden, banished from God's presence. His life gave way to death. And ever since, the human race has been born apart from God, born in death, born cut off from his presence because of our sin. The garden was closed, and from chapter 3 of Genesis onwards, there was no way back to God. And then, after many thousands of years, the day came when God opened the door of heaven itself, and one man went in. 
The day came when a human being, one of us, a representative from our sinful and fallen race, walked into God's presence. And not only walked into God's presence, but took his seat at God's right hand as king over all creation. Which one looks more like the salvation of the human race? The footprints of an astronaut on Mars, or the footprints of Jesus in heaven? And Jesus was able to do it because he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross, to pay for our sins. That is why God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that is above every name. His entry into the presence of God is a sign of our salvation. And there's more going on. Did you notice in Luke's account that little detail about the cloud? Verse 9, after he said this, Jesus was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now to get to heaven, Jesus didn't need to literally ascend. Heaven isn't a geographical place above the sky. But he did ascend physically into this cloud so that the apostles would understand exactly what was going on. You see, Jesus often called himself the Son of Man. And that title comes from Daniel chapter 7, which Rory read for us first of all. Now I'm going to read it again and have a listen to what it says. It mentions a cloud. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The one to whom God, the Ancient of Days, will give sovereign power and glory as king over all the earth, came up to God in a cloud, just like Jesus. And so when the disciples saw Jesus ascending, they were watching the Son of Man go on his journey from earth into the presence of God to receive an everlasting and indestructible kingdom. I said a moment ago that Jesus' ascension might seem like the end of his story. But can you see that actually the whole story of his incarnation, life, death and resurrection were all just the necessary preparation for this great day. Jesus lived a perfect life, died to pay for our sins, conquered death and rose to new life, all so that he could go as our representative into the presence of God and receive this kingdom to secure this future for the human race. And what Jesus is doing right now, what he's doing until the day he returns, is bringing men and women and boys and girls out of the kingdom of this world, a kingdom dominated by sin and death and eternal shame, bringing them out of that kingdom 
into his kingdom, the kingdom of life and love and eternal glory. The future of the human race will not be achieved by populating Mars, but by populating the kingdom of God. But how does that happen? How does Jesus populate his kingdom? How does he ransack the kingdom of this world and liberate people and bring them into his kingdom? He does it through spirit-empowered preaching about him. That's why this series is called No Other Name, Preaching in the Power of the Spirit. People need to know that through faith in Jesus, our sins can be forgiven, we can be reconciled with God, and we can enjoy an eternal life in his presence. People need to know that. That's the message the world needs to hear. That's the message that saves. And the people Jesus appointed as the pioneers of this preaching were the apostles. They were his eyewitnesses. They were the guarantors of the truth about Jesus. They saw his baptism, heard him teach, watched him die, and witnessed him alive again. Jesus ascended into heaven before their very eyes. Their eyewitness testimony is crucial. Christianity isn't based on philosophy, but history. They are the ones he appointed to preach and to write the authoritative account of who Jesus is what he did, and why it matters. It's through their message that we've got today in our Bibles that Jesus' kingdom is established. But the thing is, at first, the apostles didn't understand the sort of kingdom that Jesus was talking about. When I first arrived, we spent the summer looking at Mark's gospel, and I mentioned on a number of occasions that the kingdom uh, the Jewish people were hoping for was an earthly kingdom, the overthrow of Roman occupation and the re-establishing of the kingdom of Israel. And that still kind of was at the forefront of the apostles' minds in Acts chapter 1. Have a look uh, with me at verse 6. It says, when they met together, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? What they have in mind is a throne on earth and a national kingdom, and they're expecting it to be set up soon. What Jesus has in mind is the throne in heaven and a global kingdom. And only God knows the timescale for establishing that. The role of the apostles isn't to know when Jesus will return and finalize his kingdom, but to use all the time until he does to tell people about the king. Have a look with me again at verse 7. Jesus said, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so when Jesus ascended into heaven, the apostles had a job to do. That's why those angels appeared in verse 11. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? If they're waiting for Jesus to come back, they'll be waiting a long time. He's not going to return until the gospel has gone out all over the world. 
He's not going to return until everyone God has chosen has heard about Jesus, believed in him, and been brought into the kingdom. And he hasn't returned yet, which means the work is ongoing. There's a job to be done still. The ultimate aim of the church is to bring the message about the King, Jesus, to as many people as possible. And until he returns, that work is not complete. So is our work as a church done once we're bringing in enough money to pay the bills? No. Is our work as a church done once all the seats in this room are full? No. Is our work done while there are thousands of people living within a mile of this church who don't know Jesus? No, it's not. We're not getting the Christian life right or our life as a church community right if it doesn't include the ambition of telling people clearly and persuasively about Jesus. Jesus has ascended. This world belongs to him and he will return. And in the meantime, we are part of his great kingdom building project. It's not time to get comfortable. It's time to make him known. How many school kids and students do you think are dreaming of joining SpaceX and getting human beings to Mars? Well, we have a bigger dream, a dream to populate the kingdom of God. Now, like building rockets, it's not easy, but that's why Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit upon his church to empower us, to make us bold and brave, and to work in people's hearts to turn them to faith in him. We're going to be hearing more about the Holy Spirit next week, but for now, let us pray. Lord Jesus, we bow our knee before you. We acknowledge you as king over all the world. We praise your mighty name and we thank you that your being in heaven is the sign that through faith in you we are saved. We pray, build your kingdom, establish it here in this parish, turn hearts in faith to you and through us and the other churches here, make yourself known and bring glory to your name. Ask this, knowing that you are powerful and able to do it. Amen.